Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. How are you? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm waiting for the day where you said, you know what? Today's been a little tough. (laughs) (laughs) This happened, this happened, this happened. Yeah, I try try to come to you with a positive attitude. (laughs) You always do. You always do. You always do. But, uh, you know, today's an interesting topic that was brought up, and that's essential oils. Something uh, we're seeing pop up on the human side. You're seeing it pop up on the horse side, right? Yeah, and I'm not going to lie. When we went into this, I was like, oh, essential oils. You know, anything (laughs) that is sold in like an MLM form, I'm like immediately very suspicious of. But I I spent some time on the Google Scholar and I I definitely, I mean, there's a number of interesting things out there. I think the punchline is we need to know more. Um, But I think it's a cool topic. And I, I certainly read, you know, some very interesting studies as I was prepping for this. I know. I, I was, to be honest, I was a little bit surprised too. you know, digging into the scientific research and there is some with essential oils. So it will be very, very interesting podcast uh, today for the listeners. Now, my question is when, when starting this off, because you hear essential oils and we have talked about fats in the past and adding oil to horse feed. Can you just kind of break it down? How does that, how do essential oils differ from like the oils we feed our horses? Yeah, I have a question that I I did not find the answer to. Who the heck named them essential oils? Like what about them is <laughs> essential? I'm, I'm not clear on that. Um, but no, thinking about like oils in general, um, oils as like a larger group are Um, I actually looked up the definition of this. Any of numerous greasy, flammable, usually liquid substances from plant, animal, or mineral sources that do not dissolve in water. Um, And the do not dissolve in water, I think, is a key attribute. When we're talking about oil in the sense of equine nutrition, we're talking about oil that's extracted um, either through a chemical process or pressing from some sort of plant. So soybean oil would be, you know, a really common one. Um, Certainly quite a few of other ones, canola oil, rice bran oil, hemp seed oil. All of those are coming from some sort of plant, a lot of times a seed. Um, And they're fatty acids attached to a glycerol backbone. Um, This differs quite a bit from essential oils. Um, They're similar in the sense that they're obtained from something, you know, by distillation or cold pressed processes, but they have the characteristic, the fragrance or something from the plant of which it's extracted. Um, And that can be a number of different things. Um, So, you know, chemically, they are different from the oils that we think of that we're feeding nutritionally. It's interesting when I heard you say minerals extracted from minerals. Okay. Okay. So generally, these essential oils, where are they sourced from? I, I, like I said, minerals, but not really, right? Like you're talking plant-based, aren't you? Correct. For essential oils. Oil as a broader yeah. category, you can have mineral oh, sources. So I that's got like it. <laughs> well, an oil can come it. from lots of uh, things, right? 
Um, da, da, right, right, right. Mineral oil, for example, we have some equine okay. uses for that. Not nutritional, but no. Essential oils are coming from plants, um, and and it's really a variety. So it could be the seeds, the leaves, flowers, or even the roots, depending on what essential oil we're talking about. But you know, unlike oil like soybean oil, for example. Pretty simple, right? It's fatty acids attached to that glycerol backbone. And we know based on the composition of those fatty acids, how it behaves nutritionally, um, even the composition of your fatty acids determines the melting point of an oil. So is it liquid or solid at room temperature? So that's the degree of saturation. Essential oils as a group, actually, there are lots of lots of different active compounds in them, which I think makes them both interesting. Um, and you know, that's suggestive of why they have potentially some of the different actions that we'll discuss, but it also makes them something that's difficult to study and why we don't necessarily know a ton about them, even though they're relatively popular out in the marketplace. Um, I mean, even just for humans. Well, I'm going to be excited to get to the research because, you know, as you're talking, it's like, as scientists, we're trained to be skeptical. That's, that's what we do. You know, we were skeptics and we go and do the research and then we go, oh, it does work, right? So it, it's interesting that there is some research to support their use. But before we get there, these are not eaten, right? How, how, how are people using essential oils with their horses? Ah, so I think generally what you'll see in the marketplace um, are topical. So like put on the skin or inhaled like as an aromatherapy. Um, there are some studies, this actually has been studied a lot in some of the other livestock species. And I found a little bit of data in horses about some ingested essential oils. Um, I will say there's nothing today that suggests that I could find that you as a consumer should go out and feed your horse an essential oil based on the data that's, you know, applicable today. Because, you know, one thing to realize is we have limited data in horses, but, you know, some of the data that they've done, like safety data and mice and rats, some of those essential oils are, you know, associated with pretty significant detrimental health effects. So, you know, big picture, it seems like something that's very harmless. And I know there's a lot out there. Um, but with all things, you know, there is the potential for risk as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, like you said, some of the detrimental side, but what are some of the positive things that, essential oils are su supposed to do or, or what are some of the claims out there with our horses? Okay. So here's where I like that you put it in a really positive spin about being a scientist. <laughs> Therefore I'm trained to be skeptical. Here's where my initial skepticism came in is if you look, I mean, there are claims that essential oils do everything from calming to digestion to immunity to respiratory i mean you could find an essential oil that claims to do literally anything if you look and a lot of the things that are claimed honestly would fall under drug claims so you're like how can any of this be real kind of one of those like is it too good to be true kind of sounds like snake oil when they can fix everything um so in terms of what they're claimed to do all sorts of things largely not supported by any data. I think, you know, I'm, we can go through some of the studies that are actually out there with some specific essential oils or active as essential oils on some of the things that have been tested. Um, but ultimately, 
I would not be surprised if someone told me that essential oil was claimed to do anything um, because there's <laughs> yeah. someone out there saying it does that thing. Right, 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 right. Well, what are, I, you know, because because going through the list, and I actually found a a sheet of there must be at least 60, 70 essential oils and what it says it does for horses. Did you find any data on the, the more popular ones or from what you've heard? Because there's so many. So what are some of the ones that I guess maybe have some research or I guess are more popular? Mm, so I'd say the biggest one probably is lavender. Um, and as a as a disclaimer, there are a number of you know show associations that have lavender on their prohibited substance list, mm, and okay, okay. you know that's something to keep in mind with any of these kind of more natural quote unquote products to be aware that just because it's natural doesn't necessarily mean that's it's accepted for use. You need to check your own association's rules. But lavender is probably the one that has the largest body of research in horses. Um, on the same token, I wouldn't say that a lot of these studies are all that strong, if you will. But, you know, lavender has been looked at a number of different times as a calming substance, mostly inhaled as aromatherapy. Um, so, you know, there are some studies that look at whether or not it could lower stress markers when animals were exposed to a novel stimulus like heart rate. Um, you know, others, they looked at, could it decrease cortisol in trailered horses? <laughs> you know, when you look at this body of work, it's inconsistent. So some studies find a positive response. Some studies don't find any response at all. I think you could argue that some of the studies that found a response maybe didn't have the strongest experimental design. Um, I will say one that kind of made me laugh um, is I found a study that looked at horses who they exposed to a novel stimulus to see whether or not um, it impacted their stress levels. So they were specifically looking at heart rate and cortisol. And they did this by putting horses in a stall that they weren't used to being in and then playing a recording of a siren for 10 minutes straight. Oh, God. That sounds awful. Um, The treatment did induce stress. So, you know, from from the sense that their their model did work and that horse's heart rate and cortisol levels did rise as a result of being exposed to the stressor, but lavender did not change that. But when I dug a little bit more into lavender, I think the really interesting thing, going back to this concept of actives. Um, I did a fair amount of reading on like the active components in lavender. And one thing I'll point out with a lot of essential oils is you don't necessarily get a guarantee. And in a lot of studies, only a handful actually looked at what the concentration of what the active compound in lavender essential oil was. In this case, it's a compound called linalool. And, and it's pretty interesting. So Linalool is a compound that has two enantiomers, meaning that it's left and right-handed. So it's a pair of compounds with exactly the same connectivity, but opposite three-dimensional shapes. So one type of it, so let's call it the right hand, is found in lavender, uh, laurel, and sweet basil. And then the other enantiomer, we'll call it the left-handed one, um, is found in 
coriander, um, sweet orange, something called Simbopogon, which I'd never heard of. So I do think this kind of highlights the fact that, you know, this active compound is actually shared across multiple essential oils. And, you know, if you've smelled coriander and lavender, they have very different scents, um, but they have enantiomers of this same compound. So there was one study that actually looked at um, whether or not when lavender oil was used transdermally, if it would be absorbed through the skin. So they actually measured blood levels of this compound linalool they did find that linalool was absorbed through the skin when horses had this lavender-based essential oil put on their skin. So there is some transdermal absorption sometimes of these active compounds. So one of the challenges, like I, I read multiple studies on lavender, you know, methods were very different. Um, most of them were aromatherapy. Results were inconsistent. But I think that speaks to what you'd ultimately see in the marketplace, which is, could it work? Maybe. Can I buy a product with enough active compound and give it in such a manner that it does work? I don't know. I'm not seeing guarantees of that. So that makes sometimes some of these things hard to actually apply, even when there's a little bit of scientific data to support them. Right. I mean, there's a lot, a lot that goes into our research that you and I have both done uh, just to get one study and then one study doesn't make it true because you've got to repeat, right? And repeat. And hopefully someone else does it, not you, to get out the bias and all that. So there's a lot that goes into these studies. And then when you think of pharmaceuticals and <laughs> how many years it takes a product to come to market in any animal, but, you know, with horses, I mean, you're talking millions of dollars of research, right? So it's it's hard to to do studies with these essential oils to show effectiveness. Was there any others that you came across that that showed some promise in horses? Mm, okay, good question. So there's one in vitro antimicrobial study. Um, this was interesting because I think, you know, we see this a lot. So ultimately what they found was that thyme and oregano essential oils had some antimicrobial activity against um, a specific strain of staphylococcus that's an opportunistic pathogen found in the nasal secretions of healthy horses. So you're like, cool, it does antimicrobial stuff. But... Um, What's the clinical relevance of that antimicrobial stuff? It's hard to say. So that's, you know, an opportunistic pathogen. It's found in healthy horses. So how clinically relevant is that to the health of the horse? And then, you know, when you have these in vitro studies, these are like bench top studies where you collect, in this case, um, nasal swabs from horses and you culture them and then you add these different levels of these essential oils and see, did we kill the thing? And, you know, they, they did kill the thing and that's cool, but how does that then go back and apply to the horse? What's the dose? Sometimes we see these in vitro studies where something has antimicrobial activity and that's really cool, but the amount you'd actually have to feed to the animal would kill the animal. Um, what's yes. the duration, <laughs> yeah. the, yeah. the, the, the route of administration. So, you know, we think about how we give drugs to horses orally, um, injectable, transdermal? Can you get the active compound through the horse's system to the place 
of a specific microbe. Now, that being said, you know, you can't take that research and apply it to a horse today. Um, On the other hand, though, there's been a lot of research in um, some of these essential oils, like oregano would be a really popular one. On the other hand, there's been a lot of research with some of these essential oils and other livestock species, um, you know, a lot specifically with oregano um, and the active of oregano, which is carvacol, in um, systems that are designed to be free of antimicrobials, antibiotics. So thinking about like pig production, for example, there's quite a bit of work here that suggests that it can have some impact uh, specifically on some certain pathogens that impact the digestive tract in those animals. Um, So, you know, there is something there for sure. How it clinically applies to the horse, we aren't there. But oregano and thyme, going back to this concept of actives, so both oregano and thyme in that particular in vitro study did have that antimicrobial activity. They both have the same active, which is carbacrol, and it's um, shown in some studies to impact some rumen fermentation patterns. And we know that horses have share some things with the digestive tract of a ruminant like a cow. So there have been a couple studies that looked at feeding the active, so not the essential oil. They took that processing step one step further and pulled that active compound so they could very specifically dose it. Now, the good news is like there weren't any safety issues, um, but on the flip side, it really didn't change any measures of diet digestibility or things like that. So, you know, there has been some pretty recent work that's looking really more at the type of research that I think becomes more applicable in the horse um, in terms of feeding essential oils. But so far, there's not any published data to support this, you know, being something that's both efficacious and safe. The, you know, other thing um, that's certainly been looked at, and I think it's pretty popular, would be essential oils as insect repellents. Uh, you know, there, there was one study I found um, in insect bite hypersensitivity. So basically horses with sweet itch, so they have a reaction to the saliva of midges and other bugs. They get really itchy. That study showed some positive results to a blend of essential oils used as a fly spray. It, it had some challenges because it was based on, essentially they dispersed this product in a blind placebo controlled way to a bunch of horse owners. And then they documented their experience. So it's not really controlled research. Um, there are quite a few essential oil fly repellent products on the market. You know, people have different experiences with them. The one notable thing is, you know, horses can have pretty significant skin reactions. Um, I found one reference about human photosensitization, so exposure to sunlight after applying essential oils, and there can be some pretty significant reactions in a fairly large proportion of the human population. Uh, Lavender, peppermint, and tea tree oil, um, all were ones that were found to, you know, induce that hypersensitization. And of course, those would be really common ones uh, that would be used in those fly spray products. So if you're going to go down that route, you know, you would certainly want to do a small test patch to make sure the horse doesn't respond negatively to that. 
Well, that kind of leads me, I mean, because there's so many products out there, uh, but it, some of the more, more of the other dangers you you did talk about, you know, being sensitive or allergic, you know, and tea tree oil is one that, that comes up in the literature, like be very, very, very cautious. Is there anything else you should, you, you've come across, because we're not veterinarians again, uh, but advice that you could give owners about being a little bit careful with these essential oils? Sure. I think, you know, being aware that there can be skin sensitivity. Um, Obviously, the data with lavender suggests that they are absorbed, you know, transdermally, so through the skin. Um, And, you know, like I said, there's there's that safety data that's been done in other species. So it's something you want to be careful with. A lot of times you need to dilute essential oils before you use them. And it's one of those things that there's just not enough data to be really sure of the safety on a lot of them. So just be aware of that before, you know, deciding whether or not it's appropriate to incorporate into your program. Um, But um, I did just think of one last study I looked at that I thought was really fun. And, you know, one thing you'll find, you know, really common um, essential oil as a flavoring would be peppermint. And there was a fun study where basically they soaked gauze in different essential oils and then like (laughs) measured the amount of the time horses spent investigating these different uh, gauze, gauze soaked in essential oils and their stall and peppermint came out number one. Um, So, (laughs) you know, there is some basis to that for sure. Um, So yeah, ultimately I think this is a really neat area. One that we need a lot more research to really feel confident about, you know, using on horses in any meaningful way. Yeah. And some of it's promising. I mean, obviously the data is very, very promising. So, you know, the, the more we investigate it, the more research we can do, uh, you know, in, in the next few years, who knows where, where we're going to be. I mean, we've, we've been just talking about this where we've gone the last hundred years. So who knows where we'll be in a hundred years with horse nutrition. Uh, final question, you know, what are some of your, your, your suggestions or final tips when it comes to essential oils? You know, ultimately, Chris, I think this is a neat area of research. If you gave me buckets of money, I might even play around with some essential oil research myself. <laughs> However, you know, I think ultimately a lot of times when people look towards these things, it's because the horse has some sort of issue that you're looking to support in the best way you know how. So, you know, from that perspective, there are probably other things with a better research proven track record and most importantly, safety profile that may be more efficacious to use in your horse than these essential oils. Whether that's, you know, veterinary care, looking at the total diet and things that we can do to help, you know, support your horse's digestive tract or calming or whatever it is that you feel that essential oils might help your horse with. I would say from my perspective, there's probably a lot of other bases that make sense to check first. Um, And then, you know, hopefully someday we'll have a little bit more data to see if and how we can safely incorporate these essential oils into a health and wellness support program. No, yeah, solid advice, solid advice. So I guess we'll leave it there. I mean, fascinating, uh, fascinating discussion. And for our listeners out there, if, if there's something more you want to know, please feel free to contact us. That link's always in the show notes and reach out to us. And if you have questions about essential oils or you need a free consultation for your horse, 
or you have a topic suggestion, please, please contact us. And my final ask of the listeners is please go check out our website. It has been updated. It's beautiful, fascinating. Uh, TributeEquineNutrition.com. Links in the show notes at, at the bottom, so you can go click on that. But it has the link to the podcast, uh, some articles, again, where you can get a feeding plan and uh, check out some of the stuff that Tribute's doing. But thank you so much, Nicole. Yeah, that's it's essential oils. That was a fascinating topic to research. Thanks, Chris.